This is Bucket Talk, a weekly podcast for people who work in the trades and construction that aren't just trying to survive, but have the ambition and desire to thrive. The opportunity in the trades and construction is absolutely ridiculous right now. So if you're hungry, it's time to eat. We discuss what it takes to rise from the bottom to the top with people who are well on their way and roll up their sleeves every single day. So today we have Randy Nesman, master pipe layer on this episode of Bucket Talk. Randy, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So Randy, you're, you're, you're a farmer. You deal with drainage out in, in the, in the farming community, also known as drain tiles. Um, and then firefighter, I really want to get into a day in the life of, uh, of what you do, um, and I'm super excited for you to be on. So, you know, honestly, where you're based out of and and uh, what you do and, and how you got there. Uh, so I guess um, so I'm from Kensington, Minnesota, uh, mm-hmm. little town, 300 people, uh, um, West Central Minnesota, uh, <clears throat> born and raised dairy farmer. And then uh, would have been about I would have been about 18 years old when uh, when we quit the dairy farm. Um, so. Moved on from that to uh, uh, a uh, agronomy center, um, uh, spray and fertilizer, chemical, uh, custom harvesting. Did that a few years, uh, then bounced right into uh, uh, grain bin stuff. Um, sold and serviced uh, grain dryers, grain bins, millwright, building the grain legs and all of that. Um, and about that same time, I suppose I was I was 19 and I joined the fire department. So. That's, I mean, so I just recently got into the farming community. Um, It's always been something that I wanted to do. I got into livestock. I deal with horses, pigs, chickens, ducks, all that stuff, right? And, um, but for me, the transition from, from being, you know, dealing with horses to dealing with cattle, a buddy of mine down the street deals with cattle and, and, uh, and, and beef steers and what have you. And. I mean, for you to make those transitions, like you're going from, I mean, it's all considered farming or agriculture, if you will, but <clears throat> Correct. Um, yep. they're very different jobs. How, how do you adapt from one to the other? I mean, is it just, is it just your upbringing or was it, was it just on the job training? Like how, talk me through that transition. I, I'd, I'd say all of it when, uh, when we were still dairy farming. So I would have been uh, uh, 16, 17 years old. I was helping this agronomy center. Uh, as soon as I was, uh, 16 years old, I would get a temporary CDL so I could drive class B, um, which would be like a tandem straight truck, uh, hauling hauling fertilizer, running grain cart. I think I started running a combine when I was 19 and that was just kind of on the side. I, I, uh, I've never been able to be stuck doing one thing for too long. So I don't like to do them extra, extra things. So then when we could dairy farming, I just moved right in, uh, right into this full time. And then uh, the grain bin thing, it was a buddy of mine, uh, started a business selling soup up grain dryers, grain, grain bins, grain dryers. Same deal there. We get off work early. I'd go help him. We'd deliver materials. I'd help him pour some cement on weekends, concrete, um, things like that. Uh, when I decided to finally make that transition, I'd already been working for the guy for a couple of years. So, so I just slid into that. And, uh, and then through that guy is how I ended up where I am now. Uh, same so, type of deal. So that's, that's an interesting point. So like 
um, you have your day job. And then outside of that, you take um, a little extra time out of your day to, to help your neighbor. Uh, you learn another skill. Um, I guess I could say that, you know, as I'm in the horse world, I'm learning about livestock fencing and, and, um, you know, finishing beef and all that stuff. So, um, it's a longer process because you're only devoting two or three hours, maybe a week. It could be a little bit more than that, but, um, so it's a longer process, but you're at, you're actually being immersed into that versus like coming into it cold. So, right. um, it, it is- wasn't. It was never like walking into a job like, what am I doing here today? You know, it was always, uh, hey, you've already been doing this, you know, and uh, and just kind of move into that. But I've always kind of been that way. Uh, yeah. Back when I was 14 years old, if I had a spare half a day on the farm in the summer, I had two or three other uh, neighboring farmers I'd go throw hay bales for. Like I always like, yeah. uh, I always like to be doing something different with different people. Um, uh, it all, it was all agriculture based. Yeah, it's it's interesting up here too. Like a lot of guys will uh, they'll have livestock, but um, a way to reduce cost is by you know working with your neighbor on haying their fields. So they're like, hey, you know, you got this large piece of property. I'm gonna hay it. I'll come over. I'll hay bundle um, and remove it for you. You don't have to do anything, but obviously it'll keep your costs down. So a lot of the the farmers up in our area um, do their own haying on other people's parcels, which is, which is pretty unique. So they're not actually using their own, they're, they're not buying their own property and using their own property. They're, they're actually helping a neighbor out, get rid of, or maintaining that property and then benefiting from it in in that way. Sure. Sure. Yep. And, and we're from a pretty uh, desolate area. I mean, everybody knows everybody. So it's not like um, I'm walking into this, this uh, agronomy center, not knowing anybody, you know, they'd been doing the yeah. stuff on our side. And um, so it, it's a, uh, it's a, you know, we know everybody that we're moving around through. So. So if you don't mind me asking and um, you know, it's, it's one of the, so I have goats, my wa- my wife wanted to, we have dairy goats. And so she wanted to, to get into the milking. We're still, our flock is still young. Um, so we're working on that. And, uh, but why did you get out of the dairy industry? Was that just like, you know, mom and pop decided to retire and then it was just, you know, what's next in life or was it, was it just not working out for anybody? Kind of. Yeah. So, um, to back up even furthermore, uh, so we'd milked 80 cows in a tie stall barn, um, up until 96, 96, we'd moved to, uh, uh, we built a 250 cow um, a parlor system. So double double six, so 12 cows at a time in a parlor. And uh, right that 96, prices plummeted. Um, milk was well below our, our, uh, um, uh, our, our margins or our uh, cost per day, cost per cow price. Yep. And uh, we, we fought that on until about 02. And then 2002, we, we wrapped it up. So it was, it was, uh, uh, we went out on our own terms, but it wasn't very far from not being our own terms. So that that's so, kind of what made that move. What's interesting is I'm like a late '90s kid, early 2000s kid, and <coughs> one of the biggest things that we had going during that time was the Got Milk commercials. Was that was that a a representation <clears throat> of how the um, the dairy farm industry was going? That that like, hey, we needed to draw a light to this. Um, you know, dairy farmers aren't doing well. 
what, what what was kind of the push there? I mean, it seems like the timing lined up, right? Right. Yeah. And I don't, um, you know, I was, I was younger then and didn't get as much into the, into the finance yeah. things, but, but I know if I remember right, um, milk had dipped down around that, that, uh, 10, $11 per hundred weight. And at that time, like, uh, cost per production was probably 13, 14, somewhere in there. And, yeah. and I know in like 2001, 2000, somewhere in there, uh, it, it, climbed for a little bit, like almost to where you had some hope. And then, and then they, they dropped again and, and, uh, and they maybe even started coming up again at that point. But, uh, at that point we were in such a hole. It's kind of that, you know, dad kind of come to us, you know, uh, my older brother had already moved on, uh, doing mechanic, uh, works for John Deere as a mechanic. Yeah. And, uh, uh kind of, well, what do you guys want to do? You want to, is it worth the fight? And, and we were both at that time, uh, we kind of had enough of the cows too. So, so, uh, that was kind of a deciding factor, I guess. So, uh, would you say would you say a it's rebounded, and then b, um, do you think that it's more of a, a niche market now? Like, so there was there was that monoculture mass producing, um, you know, way of doing farming, right? Um, so, like you you had hundreds of head of cattle um, to to milk, right, and then. Um, you know, you're mass producing. So obviously your, your margins are, are slimmer, right? Um, cause people are buying it bulk. Do you think that like shifting to like a niche market that they have nowadays, like you see it with like, uh, especially cattle, um, beef products and what have you, where, you know, people are buying now half cows or quarter cows <clears throat> and they're overpaying per steak, you know what I mean? Versus, um, you know, that mass production, like hamburger and, and, uh, you know, what, what have you. Right. So, so there, I don't know, shed a little light on that. So I know there's, there's definitely a few dairies that have that niche market going on. Um, um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think a couple off the top of my head that, uh, produce their own milk and sent truck their own milk out. And, uh, and I think they're really well at that. Um, also, uh, the dairies now have gone to, you know, 5,000 cow, 10,000 cow, um, yeah. you know, and more. And that just, uh, and it's not a bad thing. It's just the way progression works, but you know, a, a 10,000 cow dairy can have a, a cost of production of, I'm just throwing numbers, 12 bucks, you know, where, uh, yeah. where a 250 cow dairy would have that cost of production would be like $14, you know, so in milk's yeah. $13, that 250 guy's not hacking it. And that 10,000 yeah. guy is, is doing good. Um, I, I think that's probably more, the way that went and that's kind of sort of kind of going that way in farming in general. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen a couple of dairies up in our area that have now, that have now, you know, obviously, uh, milked, pasteurized and then bottled and delivered to people's houses. So that they're now getting this service, they're getting that organic, that, you know, high class, what have you. And it's like, it's, it's cool to see them adapting with the times. Like, how is how is a mom and pop operation that's been in business for hundreds of years? How do they how do they survive against the the hoods, the Oakhurst, the the, the really large, you know, large producing dairies out there? Um, and then again, you know, I deal in hay and grain and all that stuff. And um, I mean, there's years where we have hay shortages, so now you have malnourished animals, and I I don't know. It's just it's there's just so much to it than just having the cows and milking them and then producing it. There's, there's way more on the other side that, that, uh, that, um, is out of our control. 
Right. Yeah. And it's and as far as like the the small dairy that's that's uh, pasteurizing and bottling their own milk and sending it out, you know, they can charge a premium for that. And if the consumer wants to buy that, if the consumer wants to spend more money on that milk so that they know what cow that came from or the actual dairy yeah. came from, then great. If that's what the consumer wants, you know, that's what the consumer is going to get. Um, but then you do have these other guys that that can produce cheap, good milk. Um, yeah. you, know, you know, on that side of it also. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I mean, you see it with eggs now, I mean, eggs are, are, are through the roof and, and now you got these beautifully packaged, um, organic cage free, you know, everything. And, and, uh, I, I think it's just smaller operations trying to, trying to jockey their way to stay in business, to be honest with you. Right. And we are now newly chicken farmers. I should say my wife is a newly chicken farmer. <clears throat> so she's been threatening me about chickens for, uh, uh, quite a while. And, uh, yeah. about six weeks ago, we had a, uh, uh, 3 a.m. fire call house fire, uh, deer in a blizzard. So she's nervous that I was out on the roads, you know, heading there. And so she's sitting awake at three, four in the morning and, uh, and, uh, lo and behold, ordered 20 baby chickens. So a week later, these one day old chickens show up, like the hell are we going to put these? I mean, we got, it, it was seven below zero this morning. And so we've got them living in the garage right now, turn the heat up in the garage and, and uh, hopefully one day we melt here and can get them outside. But yeah, I mean, I got, I, I got 40 or 50 chickens now and, um, you know, it's, it's been interesting because we had a, a, a broody hen that was laying on, laying on some eggs. They weren't viable. They weren't fertilized, but she was killing herself to do it. So I was like, you know, just take the eggs away and, and let's see what happens. Come to find out, I come home and my wife went to tractor supply and brought, bought like 12 chicks <laughs> and put them in there. So the mother took to them and I'm like, great. Now we have <laughs> now we have chickens. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh <laughs> currently my wife she found on uh Facebook Marketplace, whatever it is. Um yeah. somebody was remodeling their house and had a chandelier for sale, like twenty bucks. Yeah. So she's picking up a chandelier to put in her in her in her chicken house, the chicken coop. So she uh she's uh she's gonna be one of these crazy chicken ladies who's gonna put chicken pictures in her chicken coop with a chandelier yeah. and uh uh I guess have at it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's good. I, I actually don't mind it. The only, the only thing I have um, that is constantly a problem is I got to, I, I always have a rooster problem. Um, we just have too many roosters. Um, obviously you got to call the, call the herd if you will. <laughs> right. But um, it's just, it's like the roosters are fine until they're not fine. Right. And then all of a sudden they wreak havoc. And, and uh, so I, we're at that point now where we, we have to uh, take down a few roosters, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been, it's, it's been good. I mean, we got a couple of silkies, which are, um, they're like these bell bottomed, you know, really oh, fluffy yeah. uh, chickens <laughs> and my wife loves them. And um, I don't know, they're, they're obnoxious, <laughs> but um, what's funny is, is I don't know which, cause I'm like the worst farmer. Um, I get green eggs now. They're, they're like a, light blue green egg um i'm sure somebody will call me out on on what what breed it is but it's funny because my son will only eat those eggs so we have brown we have white we have everything but he only wants to have green eggs for breakfast and i'm like so i think so. <laughs> i think the green eggs come from she calls them easter eggers because she ordered okay. 
10 of these Easter eggs that are supposed to give the blue, the green, whatever eggs. Yeah. And then yeah. 10, I don't know, they're yellow, whatever. Yeah. Whatever a yellow chicken is. <laughs> yeah. So that that's, yeah, the, the yellow chicks that I had were, were straight out of tractor supply. They were, um, and they end up being like a nice white in there. They actually look pretty uniform versus like we got um, some from a breeder that, you know, they all kind of look different and have great coloring. But the ones from Tractor Supply were really like com- they almost feel commercialized because yeah. they all look the same. Yeah. Um, right. So I'm sure I'm sure that breeding is streamlined. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's been uh, it's been quite the quite the uh, quite the journey. I got I got my pig Waylon right now. He's trying to figure out how to uh, how to mate with uh, the the three sows that I have. And uh, he's coming at it from the side and we're dying <laughs> laughing. I'm like, hey, you gotta try a little bit harder, buddy. <laughs> so, you have to, uh, but, um, you have to introduce him to the internet. Maybe you can yeah. help him out a little bit there. <laughs> well, it's funny because I had him separated for a while because they were, I think for a male, it's 18 months. And for a female, it's a little bit longer than that. Um, before you can start breeding them. So, um, we just, we just got to the point now where, where we've hit those timelines and, um, you know, we're not actively trying to breed them. We're just throwing them in there and seeing what happens and reaping the, I don't know, just dealing with the repercussions after that. (laughs) But, um, yeah, no, it's been, it's been, it's been wonderful. A lot of, a lot of life, a lot of death on the farm. Um, my kids are young, six and eight, and, um, it's been, one hell of a one hell of a wild ride and and uh so that's been interesting but i'd love to get into so right now for me it's mud season um i have pastures that are absolutely destroyed um you know i got pooling i got i personally have culverts which they call swales up here um i'm doing everything i can for water mitigation but then I happened upon your channel and you have drainage tiles. I was like super jealous of like all the stuff that you do. So walk us through like pasture drainage and, mm. and, and some of the stuff you do. And a lot of it's temporary too, correct? Uh, some of it is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Independent to what we're doing. So we don't get into a lot of pasture drainage. Um, okay. We're, yep. We're, we're pretty much a um, row crop uh, area is primarily what we're yep. um, uh, But it's really the same. I mean, Water runs downhill, and uh, and uh, certain soil types release the water better than other soil types, and uh, um, that's kind of what we do. With, we design, we design through all that. Um, so right now we are still full blown winter. Uh, yep. Two years ago we were tiling already. We typically would start pretty early in April. Uh, this year obviously it's going to be a little bit later than that, but. Uh, um, uh, but all winter long, I pretty much sit on the computer and do all my design work in the winter. Uh, we have we have LIDAR, uh, which is flown over. They shot, it basically lasers come down, gives you a topography of the land. Uh, yep. So I have I have the topography from all of our, all of our area. Uh, we, we do all the design work in the winter, do all the selling. Uh, springtime, we start tying a little bit, get into farming, put the crop in. Uh, all summer long, we're working in the crop. Uh, doing main some deep stuff, uh, small projects, and then uh, and then after harvest, then we go back and and do the 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 more pattern tile we call the grid tiling. Um, <clears throat> so our area is we're the prairie pothole area, so the glaciers came through and and we have our land is like a golf ball. 
basically you have a hill yeah. and the top of the hill will be all these dimples. Um, uh, so 15 years ago, uh, you know, we were more kind of hitting those potholes, you know, run a line here, run a line there. And now we've moved way more into the pattern pattern style where depending on your soil type, see anywhere from every 25 feet all the way up to about 65, 70 feet wide, we, uh, we basically grid tile, you know, this field. So, so you have a main runs into an outlet, all your laterals, uh, sub mains come into that main. Again, water runs downhill, start at the bottom, work your way up. Um, so, so now you use it, you use it for drainage, obviously, but do you use it for re-irrigation as well or no? We don't, uh, very, very little in our area. We sit in too much elevation. Um, yep. so, so the guys that'll use it for both the, the drainage and irrigation. So every two foot in elevation drop, they have a mm. control structure. So then, so basically they have this whole system that'll drain itself out and then they can add water at the top end. And then every two feet, that control structure will hold that water. So then you okay. basically stair step your project. Um, and we sit in, I mean, a lot of our projects I'll have, I'll have 30 feet, 30, 40 feet of fall, you know, across a quarter, across a half mile. Um, wow. you know, we, we have, we have big Hills, then we flatten out and then a hill and flat. And, and, uh, so we, we just sit in a little too much elevation for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting because, you know, uh, we're we're fortunate up here but there are areas you go out towards california and what have you and uh you know farmers are getting in trouble for for retaining water rainwater, and right. what have you mm -hmm. i you know growing up i i thought that you know if you can catch the water it's yours but little did i know that you can't <laughs> right. Um, right uh because it because it affects everybody downhill um i don't really have a position on it uh i don't know too much about it so um but that but that is interesting that like um, any water runoff isn't technically owned by you just because it falls on your property. Um, right. So see, we're, we're kind of the, we're the other end of that. So we can't get rid of yeah. our water. So then, so then you have everyone fighting below you. They don't want that water. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like the old saying, you know, whiskey's whiskey's for drinking waters for fighting. Um, <laughs> you know, and that goes, that goes, whether you want the water, you don't want the water. Uh, we deal with that all the time. And in the, uh, uh, we do a fair amount of, uh, they, uh, we call them equip projects. They're, they're uh, federally uh, funded projects. Uh, um, WASCOB is the other one that people know them as uh, water and sediment control basins. Yep. So we have that elevation. So we have these, these uh, large watersheds. Uh, uh, I mean, all the way down to nothing to 160 acre watershed that runs across this field that has 30, 40 feet of fall. So we, yeah. Well, we come in with a, it, it's all, when we do those, it's all engineered uh, by the uh, uh, NRCS, Natural okay. Conservation. So they'll engineer it all, uh, put it in, you bring the pipes in, we build um, dams or dikes, either farmable ones or, or non-farmable. So the farmable ones, we just keep bringing in dirt until it's uh, sloped enough where we can farm over it, you know, without it being too steep. And it's, it's all designed so that, uh, uh, they'll design it for like 250 year storms. So not, not a 100 year storm, but 250 year storms back to back. So wow. then, you know, so they'll set it up for a, say an eight inch rain, an eight inch rain in 36 hours. And then this project's designed that it'll hold that water for 36 hours. And then it'll allow it to go down slowly so that, you know, fast moving water is what causes the erosion. So if we can yeah. pull that yep. up here and 
you know, we'll have six, seven, four, five, whatever amount of dams where we're holding all this water back. And all those ponds will draw down at the same time. And then they'll all go empty at that same time. And, and therefore it allows the dirt to settle out all your nutrients, your sediments, everything settles out. And then you got, you know, the clean water going out through a pipe rather than, rather than just wash it across the top of the ground. So we get into usually three or four of those projects here too. And then, uh, and, uh, no, I, I was I was gonna say that there's there's a reason why you're called master pipe layer because there's uh it's a it's a well earned title based on the amount of work you've done uh, with drainage and irrigation. Yeah, and there's there's definitely I mean guys in our area that are that that do you know way more than we do. Um, you know the the full time guys that's all they do is the is the drain tile stuff, but uh, uh, we definitely uh, mix into the farm back and forth. Uh, um, yeah, we stay, we stay pretty busy. So we've actually never gotten into this, um, because we're trades and construction, but I think it's relevant. Um, I, I think a lot in, in a lot of rural areas, um, you know, people are in the city and, and people are in densely populated areas. Um, they have paid, you know, paid firefighters, paid whatever. I moved, I moved North to Maine. We have a lot of volunteer services, um, same with same with more rural areas and what have you. Um, talk talk a little bit about how you got into the fire department and and uh, you know what it does for your community and and why you all why you did it. Uh, the fire department side. Um, so uh, a lot of my friends. I had a lot of older friends with the dairy. Um, we had a lot of uh, high school kids that would that would help out. You know, milk nights and different things. So it it seemed like I kind of ended up hanging out with that little bit older crowd, you know, three, four, yep. five years older than me. Um, but that at the time, my brother was a firefighter, his buddies, uh, three, four of my buddies had joined. So at the time, like, yeah, why not? I mean, I mean, what? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, fighting fires, fun, right? So, <laughs> so that's, I, I'd say that's kind of why I got into it is, is uh, the rest of the buddies were tight community. Um, again, our, our town is like 330 people. We, uh, we actually, um, our area is a hundred square miles and in those hundred square miles, there's about 500 residents. So that kind of tells you the size we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, so we get into a lot of agriculture, equipment fires, uh, grass fires, crop fires, um, along yeah. with structure fires generally, um, usually one or two a year. Is about we get yeah we get chimney fires up near us. It's just, so I've been on plenty of them, but there's getting to be less and less wood burn in our area. Area uh, I haven't dealt with a chimney fire for about five years now. Wow! Uh, but uh, we we did just last Friday. We had uh, the neighboring town seven miles away had an elevator fire. Um, so we had we had ten different departments on that. Um, um, month ago we had we had a house fire with another neighboring town, and then. Our towns were built by the railroad. So all of our towns are about seven miles apart, which is, I guess they needed water about every seven miles. So okay. they, they, they dropped a water tower, a town went seven miles, dropped a water tower in town. So our towns are all spaced about seven miles apart around here. Okay. And, and they're all that three, four, 500. Um, Alexandria's 20 miles from us. So uh, that's the lakes area. Um, yep. So it uh, there's about, I think the town itself is like 18,000 people, but it probably sleeps 40,000, like in the summer in the lakes area. Okay. Um, you know, so they, they've got a pretty big, they're still volunteer, 
their uh their fire chief is full-time but uh so they have a big aerial so we'll we'll bring them in when we need them uh we had a church fire last year we brought them in for uh they were at this fire in hoffman the neighboring town uh for the elevator uh so we we all work work well together and and it's all it's all volunteer around here yeah it was it was interesting <clears throat> because actually the the two largest fires we've had recently were at uh meat cutting facilities so um we we actually had the the main i forget i forget who it's not usda but essentially um whoever's in charge of the butchers around here essentially said that um we're gonna have a hard time processing everybody's animals in in maine because we've had two massive facilities um burned down so they they actually called on uh the deer processors who usually operate like under a different uh, uh under a different spectrum but they're suited to to be able to process meat and uh so they called on them recently and but yeah i mean we're all, to be honest with you, we've had the fire department up here checking our barn. We have a large, uh, 20 stall barn and, you know, another one attached to the house. And I mean, those are the most, those are the most vulnerable, to be honest with you. It's, a uh, we had a, a ranger caught on fire cause it had, had some leaves in it. It was in the barn, um, quick action for my wife. She put it out. Um, and then I had to deal with all the wiring harnesses and shit that were, burning. But, um, <laughs> It's amazing how quickly, how quickly it it could you can get into a structure fire, right. especially in a lot of these facilities. Uh, um, the old uh, like an old dry barn like that. Um, yeah, you know we've uh, uh, 10, 10, 12 minutes. You know that barn can be fully engulfed and down. You know, and especially in a rural area, you know a lot of those don't get called in until it's pretty well fully engulfed. And you're you're sitting 15 minutes away, like yeah, you got a real good chance. You know, you're you're pretty much there to protect the surroundings at that point. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, um, but yeah, no. So so on the apartment, yeah, I joined when I was 19. Um, I was training officer. Uh, I was probably training officer maybe 16 years now, and then uh, and then last year I moved to assistant chief. Um, so I've been an wow, officer. Congratulations. So of the 20 years I've been there, I think I've been an officer for uh, um, probably at least 14 years anyways. I guess I'm not exactly sure on the dates, but um, 20, I think there's 22 guys on the apartment now. Uh, our full roster is 28 um, uh, guys on it. And uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of one of those things you're, um, most all my close buddies are, are on the department and it's, it's just kind of a, it's just kind of a thing we do, I guess. So you were talking about hmm. grain earlier. Uh, do you guys have like grain fires? I mean, I've, I've heard that they're super volatile, hmm. um, you know, fine particles, they're flammable and you could have, I mean, close to explosions, like huge infernos. Um, do you guys deal with that recently or do you guys deal with that um, in any way, shape or form or trained or what have you? Uh, are you, are you talking like uh, like stored grain or like, like a field of grain? Uh, stored grain actually so that so that's what we had on friday was uh was a grain elevator and uh oh that uh, was a grain i i, I was well, figuring so, like yeah no so grain like the like the big old wood house grain elevator I was like, why do they have track. 10 departments for a, yes for a regular <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the uh um and actually they got that knocked out down really quick and uh and wow everyone did a phenomenal job but the uh uh they haven't come out with reports yet what happened there but 
but grain uh grain dust is explosive it you know you know how it works everything has to be per you got right oxygen the right amount of fuels uh, ignition source but typically a lot of times what will happen is something will be burning and you'll have a little explosion or a little a little puff or a little bang and it rattles all the dust off of everything and then that yeah. puts all that dust suspension and then you'll have a big old bang and uh and uh, i'm i'm quite certain that's what happened here because there was an explosion it shook the town and there was there was tin and wood and debris uh spread uh at least a quarter block uh if not a half a block you know glass glass it blew the windows out and and uh and that was in the scale house part of the elevator so they actually got it out uh, the outside of the big wood, the old big wood house structure that had just yeah. started to burn on the outside and they got stopped at that point. Um, cause if, so, so how do you, how do you protect against this? I mean, it seems like it's, I, I don't want to say it's like the cost of doing business or, or necessarily mm -hmm. the, um, the, you know, the risk you have to take, but it's like, I mean, it's pretty substantial. I mean, we've seen <laughs> fertilizer fires. We've seen, yeah. we've, we've seen a lot of, of, of facilities recently, um, at least since I've starting started paying attention, um, whether it's ag, whether it's you know livestock or what have you, that we've had some pretty big issues. And uh, I mean, how do we how do we uh, mitigate these problems? Well, the uh, as far as like in a grain elevator um, situation like that, you know, these old wood houses were built in I don't know the the sixties, fifties, sixties. You know, so they've been around yeah. a long time. A lot of lot of lumber in there. They're all cribbed. Because a lot of them, they're, they're actual bins inside of those. So it's all like mm -hmm. two by six cribbing or two by eight cribbing through the whole thing. So it's a ton of wood in there. And uh, and I'd say things have actually gotten better. I mean, we're, our, uh, our uh, electrical components are all centrifugally safe. So so they're, they're either uh, um, uh, protected from giving off little sparks, things like that. They got to be in sealed cases. Our, our electrical's yeah. got to be in, you know, good good uh electro boxes you know compared to what they used to deal with before in the electrical you know side of things um a lot of it's just cleansiness keeping keeping that three inches of dust off the walls so when you have a little something uh you don't have something you know turn into more um uh but but yeah i mean things things are definitely gonna happen yeah it's interesting because uh you know again uh i can't i can't iterate it enough i mean our electrician came in to do a little <clears> bit of work and he said you know, your, our, elect, our barn was built, I don't know, early 2000s. And uh, so it's, you know, all the electrical is sealed PVC versus like Romax or what have you. Um, and he goes, dude, your, your stuff is so like bomb proof. It's, it's insane. And until you actually just said that, it makes a lot of sense. Why? I mean, we have our hayloft. It has over, you know, a thousand bales of hay, um, you know, it, it shavings within... I mean, it's just, it's just one cigarette butt away from being a, a huge issue. Right. So. Yep. And then, uh, um, I'd say it, as far as, uh, uh, grain storage and things like that, uh, more of the safety is, is the equipment they're working around. You know, they're working around augers, these bin sweeps in there, uh, loose yep. building. And then, uh, um, and then the next other big thing is, uh, grain entrapment where guys are inside a grain bin and, uh, get pulled down and buried uh avalanched um we've actually worked uh um so zach johnson uh millennial farmer and i yep good buddies uh we do the podcast off the husk 
So he's ran a couple fundraisers uh, doing grain bin rescue uh, and donating out to two departments. And uh, um, God, I don't know if I want to say the dollar amounts that we've given away or he's given away through that, but uh, I believe it was like 60,000 the first time um, that he gave away. And then in the second time, I think it was like 50,000. So he's, you know, he's over a hundred thousand donating to fire departments for uh, uh, grain bin rescue tubes, uh, training, different things. Uh, if you go to one of his YouTube channels, he, he came with us, our department to a training facility and we did a grain bin rescue training. Um, he made a YouTube of it. So people kind of see what that looks like and, and uh, some of the different equipment we use. Yeah, that's, that's all right. Cool. Well, it's, it's on topic, <clears throat> but probably very, um, I don't know, very rare for, for the people that are listening, but how do you protect yourself if you did fall in from, from a grain, uh, suff uh asphyxiation, I, I guess you would put it that way. <clears throat> uh, so if you were in that position, you were on your own yeah. and you got pulled in, you gotta, yeah. you gotta keep swimming, gotta keep climbing, but, uh, um, eventually it'll, it'll pull you down to where you, you'll get locked up and you're, you're just not moving. You're, you are 100% at the mercy of everybody else around you. And a lot of these farmers work by themselves, do dumb things, climb in a bin by themselves. Nobody knows they're there. You know, an yeah. hour later, someone's like, hey, what happened to so-and-so? Uh, you know, and, and it gets to too, too late. late. But it's 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 really when uh, when you're in there, that, that grain kind of going down and funneling down and you can just kind of keep walking up and keep, um, you know, obviously you shouldn't be in there in those situations. But if, but if you get in those cases, the other, Probably more than that is guys will get spoilage on their bins and they'll get a crust over the top of it and they will mm -hmm. go in and they'll start their auger and some grain will empty out underneath of it and then something will go on and hey I should go in that bin and see what's going on they look in there and everything looks normal but there's actually a crust over the top of this bin and a cavity in there you know they walk out there don't realize that that crust is there oh. so you fall in and then that grain um it's just kind of caused like an avalanche. Once it starts going, it just keeps flowing. And, um, you know, so, so probably just as many of the accidents happen because of something like that, as far as being in there when it's just running and not being able to stay on top of it. So, so is, is, um, cause for me, machinery person in, in, in confined space, like that's just a no, no in general, but um not understanding anything like would would a harness in the situation help um would for sure you know yeah yeah i mean you have a harness on you have a you have a tether line you can only go so far i mean obviously you have that line too long you're still gonna pull over. you know they're gonna be able to follow the line to you but you're still gonna be dead yeah you know yeah um but no a harness a rope um if you got to go in a bin you know somebody on the outside of that bin looking in from that manhole you know so there's always a line of sight uh, to everybody, um, you know, uh, a lot of things like that. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, we've touched everything from dairy to drainage to, uh, structure fires and, and the dangers of, of having agricultural facilities and, and, uh, chickens. Obviously, yeah, we've touched on chickens Touch as well. Um, so <laughs> with, with your, your work, we completely wrapped up with everything. Um, I'm sure there's not a little time for you to unwind. What do you do when you find a little bit of time to, do you go hunting, fishing? Like what's, what's your release? Um, so recently hunting, just cause my boys are, uh, uh, 14, 11, 
and really kind of oh, got nice this year so so just recently back into hunting uh when i was a kid did a lot of hunting mm-hmm. um other than that um in the winter is a lot of our downtime a uh, little bit of downhill skiing um uh, snowmobiling and then uh and then just just hanging out hanging out with friends i mean uh hanging out have a few beers play some cards um um yeah that just kind of um i'd say yeah hanging out that's awesome and uh you know it's it's kind of funny because we we had talked about this a while ago we wanted to to get together to do the podcast but this actually really came together because of uh case construction case agriculture um we ran into each other again at at uh con ag con expo um and we were both working the the case the case booth and uh you know the case family really brought us together and and that's been been pretty awesome but um outside of that um do you have anything that you want to um to mention to talk about um where can they find you if they want to get into firefighting chickens drainage whatever where where can they find anything randy uh so i guess i'll start on the fire department thing uh um you know so there's a i think it's i mean nationwide there's a huge calling for for volunteers uh uh it's just uh people are doing things in their communities like we used to and uh mm-hmm. the volunteer fire service um you know it's easy sometimes to sit back and poke fun at the volunteer fire department uh but if you're not out there joining them and helping them you know you're not you're not doing any good either so uh so get out show up to a meeting uh everyone knows somebody that's on the fire department, talk to them, figure out when their next meetings are, uh, show up at a meeting and, uh, and join, give it a try. I mean, there's, I don't know that there's a whole lot of departments that have a full roster right now that are, that are going to turn someone down. Um, we've even, uh, uh, show up for trainings, show up, talk to them, uh, go hit a couple trainings, see if it looks like it's something for you or not. Um, I guess that would be on the fire department side. Um, yep. my side, uh, Instagram, TikTok little bit Facebook, just kind of what pushes from, from Instagram, but, uh, master underscore pipe underscore layer, um, off the husk podcast, uh, off the husk with millennial farmer podcast. Um, yeah, I guess that would, that kind of sums that up. No, and that's, that's, that's cool. I, and I really appreciate you being on. I'm glad we got to connect and, uh, you know, busy schedules, kids, you, you name it. It's, uh, it's tough to coordinate, but, uh, we did it and it's been excellent so thank you for being on the show can i add one more yet are we done you got yeah no you're good you're good so i got my first pair of brunt boots uh two weeks ago yeah two weeks ago i think right for con expo so i hadn't really worn them yet um the last week and a half now i've been wearing them i have very very picky feet i have high arches yeah i know but uh um and i've actually been in the shop pretty hard the last week and a half and my feet feel phenomenal um, uh, uh, honestly, I'm a very picky guy. You're not telling me to say this. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, I, no, I, I love the boots and, uh, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be doing some more of those. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And as a special thanks to our loyal listeners, we're giving $10 off your next purchase of $60 or more at bruntworkwear.com. Use discount code bucket talk 10. That's bucket talk 10. 